everybody, and welcome to the Penalty Loop Podcast, a podcast about biathlon by Jordan Gottschalk from Penalty Loop and RJ Weiss from Biathlon Analytics. Well, hey guys, uh, we're back. RJ, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, thanks. How about you? Doing great. And uh, today we are joined by Scott Cap, who actually was our very first guest. Uh, what was it? We just calculated this about 15 months ago, uh, our, our first uh, interview that we ever did. So, Scott, welcome back. And thank you so much for coming back. I guess we didn't we didn't completely scare you away. <laughs> nope. Good to be back. Back for round two. Yeah, and uh, and and so soon after uh, after Emma, so I guess she didn't uh, she didn't say that we were crazy lunatics and that you should you should stay away from us either. No, you only have good things to say. So oh, it was probably the other way around where Emma checked with you when we asked her to. Uh... No, she just took my word for it. She knows who you guys oh. are. She was happy to come on. Uh, all right, so. Um... Scott, how you been? This is your first, uh, you just completed your first year away from biathlon in, in quite some time. So kind of catch us up. What have you been up to and, and how you been? Yeah, pretty good for the most part. Um, yeah, obviously I retired well, about 15 months, a little more ago, whenever the end of the 2022 season was. And then kind of, I spent that summer working for Biathlon Canada. I was doing some Kind of summer internship work so that allowed me to live in canmore for the summer and made for a slightly easier transition than if i had to pick up and move back to the city or whatever and in the fall of that year i was enrolled in school so i'm now a full-time student uh, working on my kinesiology degree so i'm basically now halfway through that have another couple years to go uh, at the university of calgary and then right now i'm just kind of working through the summer and enjoying some nice weather uh, out here in the Calgary Camera area and gearing up for school, which is going to start in about another month and a half. Mm. So, so is your, your home in camera related to biathlon Canada in a, in a way Did you, it sounded like you had to sort of leave when you were no longer an athlete or. I, I didn't have to. Um, oh, okay. I, I, I probably I probably would have ended up staying in Canmore till the end of the summer and just worked somewhere in town, but it, it just worked out nicely that Bob Canada offered, offered like a part-time summer position, uh, right. just kind of doing all sorts of odds and ends stuff for them, helping out the, on the administrative side of the organization and a little bit with the team. And then it, it, it worked out. The contract was till the end of August, which is when I need to leave and move to Calgary anyway. So yeah, big help there. So a very, uh, sensitive topic for a lot of people in this area are you one of the calgarians that are born and raised here and avoid the stampede like the plague or do you dress up like a cowboy and go every day uh, yeah i mean i I, ha- I haven't gone or i didn't go this year uh i would say i usually don't go unless it's like i don't know i've got a bunch of friends going or right. if there's someone from out of town and you got it you got to see the stampede if you've never been so that's right. kind of the only time I go these days. Uh, we, we kind of talked about going to the Stampede, but then I was seeing photos and videos of how insanely busy it was, and I opted to not bother. It's, it's too many people. You don't go specifically for the fried pickles or I mean, fried the chocolate bars? Pretty good. I'm a I'm a mini donut <laughs> guy myself. Mm-hmm. I think those are those are among the top Stampede foods. It's like a little bit. No, you mini. don't have to feel too guilty about it, right? Well, I don't train as much as I used to, so now it's like 
I have oh, less yeah. and less of an excuse to chow down on a full bag, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's, a, oh, that's, that's that's my my go to snack is donuts. So I gotta ask, uh, do you have a favorite donut place in in Kenmore? Oh, honestly, I don't even know. For, like, for when everybody comes to visit next February, we gotta yeah. know. I don't know if they have a donut place. Actually. Oh no! I mean, the, the grocery heart. store sells donuts, but I don't oh, think well. uh, there's like a donut shop. Not that I know of. Well, yeah, Camera's on the healthy side. You can find a lot of great like bagels or okay. wraps, stuff like that. There's actually. Do you know where the? Uh, I think it's old. The old McDonald Inn is. Uh, maybe in, in Camber. Yeah. So it's on that on that main drive behind the uh, uh, recreation center. Yeah. And then if you just go a little, I guess, towards Banff on that road, there's a bakery and they have like very specialized Ooh. donuts. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But I know they're really yeah. super fancy Makes and sense. stuff. They make donuts too. They make all yeah. sorts of stuff, I think. It's like desserts and yeah, yeah. Oh, birthday, birthday cakes. and yeah. That's all I need. And how about in Calgary? Do you have a specific place you go to or just more like no. a Tim Hortons? Or? No, honestly, I don't really. Yeah, I get mini donuts at the Stampede. Like that's ah, it. Okay. <laughs> right. Okay. Oh, okay. It's like a stampede treat. <laughs> not, not a donut fiend. Right. It's a treat. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. No, like my go-to in Calgary, if I'm really feeling like something, I go for Vietnamese food. Mm. There's oh. so many all over the city. And so really? if I have like, yeah, if I have like a hankering for something, it's usually that. And Did... there's always one within walking distance, it seems like. So yeah. it's pretty, order. pretty easy. I always get a, the faux, like the beef faux satay. Okay. Nice. Yeah, yeah, almost exclusively. Man, I haven't had the one on uh, ages. Bow Trail and Heritage. Do you know that one? I think it's called something like Bow Foe. Oh, I, I mean, maybe. I mean, honestly, there's yeah. you, everywhere you go. Yeah, like yeah there's so in many. A row, yeah. Right? It's like yeah, yeah. They're they're literally everywhere. My fave, my go to go to is um, it, it's down where I used to live when I was growing up in Calgary, and it's called Golden Bell. So I think there's three of them in the city. Okay. It's like a small chain. Mm-hmm. That one's my favorite. <clears throat> RJ, I think that's a record. I think we had uh, five minutes and then we got completely derailed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're good at that for sure. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you'll notice that. Uh, so when we started, we had kind of a kind of a structure laid out with specific questions, and we kind of let go of that. So yeah, just let it flow. It's more of a exactly. Yeah. Yep. So uh, we we asked you on the uh, the first podcast what you would do if you wouldn't be doing biathlon anymore and you said speed skating did that ever happen no that career never took off unfortunately no no i have a feeling i'm a little too old to just hop into another sport so but as a hobby or no no i mean i don't know is that something you can do as a hobby really that one's tough speed skating get yourself a speed skating suit and show up to like the local rank you'd be (laughs) yeah that'd be awesome Oh, I'm sure I'd love super cool doing that. Yeah, um, I'd love to see a video of that. <laughs> you know, where I live in the city, there's a, like a small park slash golf course. And if they have no snow, they, they roll out a track there. So I was Ooh, able to ski pretty much every day if I wanted to through the winter, which was awesome. So, yeah. Oh, wow. Nice. Yeah. Is that Confederation Park? Yep, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's amazing what they do there. Yeah, they, make, city. they make do with like pretty minimal amounts of snow. So they're yeah. they're an awesome crew. And uh, this was a good snow year. Like we got a lot of snow and it stayed pretty cold right. uh, through most of the winter. So I was able to ski whenever the first snowfall was, sometime November, maybe early November, right up until nice. kind of like March, end of March. 
which is great. Do you ever have someone recognize you? What's that? Ever? Do you ever have somebody recognizing you or? Uh, I think some of the kids might like when they're because a lot of the like the local club like Foothills Nordic and a few others train mm -hmm. out of mm -hmm. here on weeknights. Right. I feel like some of the kids might have here and there. I mean, I, I the only stuff I had to wear is like my Canada stuff. So I'm like yeah. I'm that guy skiing around <laughs> the local trails in like Canada tights, Canada jacket. So I get stares so, uh... just because of that. I don't know if anyone knows who I am, but they they know I I'm at least pretending to be on the team. Sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're either a mega fan, well, I'm sure, or or you are yeah. somebody, you know. Yeah. yeah. Well, when they look at your skiing technique, I'm sure they're like realizing that you're not just faking it. Yeah, I hope they don't. Uh, yeah, I'm, you're right. I hope they look at that and think, okay, well, he's probably not like a true amateur. He he's kind of yeah. What he's doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so, did you ever? Um, uh, did you ever still go ski with uh, with with your brother or with Emma or any of the the guys yeah, still on the team a few times when i could i mean they're gone okay. along the winter right so also, yep um but well, they of... did come home for yep. a couple periods and uh i tried to make a point of going out on like a weekend or something to go for a ski i'm pretty busy during the week with school mm -hmm. but um yeah when they're around and then you know skiing in canmore you could do that un sometimes until the end of april mm -hmm. like they mm -hmm. if they have good enough snow they'll kind of keep grooming it as long as they can so i got out several times with them which was nice did you feel like you, you were just getting crumpy too, right? Sergeant. Oh, I was just going to say, did you ever feel like you were getting just blown away by them? Like, cause you just hadn't been training in the same way or is it just more uh, relaxed when you were skiing with them? No, you know, cause they, they, you know, they're professional athletes still who train yeah. in a nice controlled zone one and I don't have to worry about that anymore. So I can just, <laughs> you know, I'm like slightly worse shape than I would have been obviously when I was still actively training, but good enough yeah. shape to keep up. Sure. And yeah. so I'm kind of slowly developing that. We joked about like uh, the coach's zone or the coach's speed where mm. you can ski any distance pretty fast. But if I had to do intensity with them, it'd be no chance. Yeah. But gotcha. for, for a nice, easy ski, I can still, I still got it. Yeah. Sorry, AJ. And do you, no, no, I was, uh, I was wondering what you, what you do with your rifle. Like I, I know the camera range is uh under construction but do you still shoot a little bit or do you dry fire or do you just I do not i no. uh you know i at the end of the season i cleaned it you know top to bottom and just put it in my gun case and it's been locked up ever since yeah i haven't taken really? it out not a single um, shot no no i just uh wow. i mean i i could i don't have like a desire to go to the shooting range mm -hmm. and so I haven't really had the need. And then, you know, I was kind of actually debating like selling it or something because clubs are always looking for, yeah, for yeah. rifles, like always. There's It seems like there's always a shortage. And I don't know. I haven't really committed to whether or not I want to keep it or sell it or or, or what. So it's it's just in my in my closet, basically, in a locked case waiting for is me it, to do is something. Is it highly customized or like do you have like I mean, the, uh, one of those the barrel custom... and the action and everything is kind of this – standard yeah. whatever you'd get from man shoots but the the stock is like my my stock but right. you know you could customize it any which way you'd like if uh if i sold it to someone that's annie's uh, she can strong. she can she can join <laughs> if she town. wants she's yeah. over for lunch she'll feel free she to join to hop in with us yeah <laughs> <laughs> she's uh nathan smith is getting married on the weekend so okay Oh, she's in town. Okay. She's in town for that for the next, I think, few weeks. Just kind of doing nice. a tour of, yeah, of the just area. Hanging out. 
Enjoy yeah, life. Why not? Yeah. Summer in Canmore doesn't get much better. I'm quite jealous. What? <laughs> Ciao, Ciao. Yeah. yeah. Did you tell uh, Scott you were planning on coming to Calgary this summer? Or? Well, actually, what, what I was going to say is that uh, is that hang on to your rifle. I think I know somebody who might purchase it off of you. Okay. I have no idea what, you would, what you'd be selling it for. but <laughs> <laughs> Like you're looking to buy one? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, sure. Why not? Oh, why not? <laughs> RJ, RJ's been trying to so, – so eventually long – long. I mean our, our goal in the medium to long term is to move up to, to Calgary. Um, and so I was going to, I was going to have RJ be my coach and, uh, and oh, coach gosh, me yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm putting, I'm putting the pressure on him. <laughs> Maybe Scott has some more time. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was, uh, coming back to that, what you do with your rifle, I was just, so let's say you would go to Mount Shark right now or, or wait till the range is done in Camor and go back. Do you think, what would be harder for you to, to, to shoot well at prone or standing? Oh, good question. Probably prone is my guess. Just because, huh. uh, I don't know. Yeah, probably prone. I, I was, so I was more thinking towards standing because prone is so based on autom automated movement, I guess. Mm -hmm. Which I don't know if, if you ever lose that or if that gets rusty or not, but. Um, yeah, I think it would come back pretty quickly if I had to guess. Yeah. Because, I mean, I just, you do it for so long. Yeah, it's got to be like yeah. riding a bike. Like it'll just you're a little rusty for the first few, and then it kind of comes back. Yeah, but yeah, I think in prone, like in standing, you can you can kind of get away with being a little rustier and a little kind of out of practice. I think because you just got a bigger target to work with. So as long as mm -hmm. uh, I think I could still hit standing, I'll have to try it out. Maybe I should go out when the camera <laughs> work center is open. I know you should we'll come out on Monday nights. Yeah, um, yeah, or, pro probably it. prone. It's RJ, get it on video. Like, little things you have to account for that if, if you miss or you're not, or you're not accounting for then you're probably not going to be as accurate. So. Yeah. Yeah. It would be interesting. Do you, you, you know, Robin, I'm, I'm guessing from fast mm -hmm. and fossil. Yeah. Ever. Do you think you'd ever want to come out on just Monday nights for fun? Like for me to just come out and shoot. Yeah. yeah. Oh, uh, if I'm honest, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy okay, just fair to enough. like. Oh, fair enough. I'm I'm happy not to like shoot. To be honest, mm. it's like huh. that's yeah. that's all over and done with. Uh, sure. I, I love okay. skiing, right? Like I'll still go skiing all the time, and I uh, I go for runs. I like to mountain bike, go to the gym, but uh, mm -hmm. like the whole biathlon shooting side, like that's kind of that's done. Okay. Like, at least as of right now, I don't have a strong desire to pick it back up. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so when you said because. Um, it seems like some athletes are really tight to the rifle, like mm -hmm. protective of it, don't want to part it, even if you, you know, go travel and that kind of thing. I get the sense it's not too bad for you. Yeah, I mean, I, it, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm willing to let it go and sell it. I just, I don't know, I've been dragging my feet, I guess, or I mm -hmm. just haven't committed. Uh, I also don't feel a need to mm -hmm. either. Like, I don't, I don't need to sell it. It's kind of nice to have just because yeah, yeah. i've always had it so yeah i don't know it's 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 just not really a thought for me mm -hmm. it's just nicely locked away <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah in my in my closet and i don't know i'm just happy to leave it there for now yeah no for sure um so switching gears uh you had mentioned that you were in school full-time uh working on your kinesiology degree uh how was how was this past year of classes how'd it go yeah, it went pretty well. Thanks. Uh, 
a, a, a small adjustment going into school. It'd been, it had been a pretty long time since I've like done school, mm-hmm. especially full time, like yeah. probably high school that I was like a full time student because I did part time school, but that's not quite the same. And it probably took me a, a good few weeks to kind of get back into the whole studying, reading, doing assignments, yep. you know, having like timelines and stuff like that. Um, but then once I kind of got into it, it was pretty good. Like I'm for the most part interested in all the classes I took. Like I found them all interesting. Yeah. Uh, I'm not taking, cause I, I've done a lot of my options for example. So I'm not, I'm not rolling in classes just to like fill out a requirement and mm-hmm. hoping I like it. It's like, now I'm just doing like the kinesiology stuff. So all the exercise yep. physiology, all the anatomy, um, the second, the exercise psychology, like I thought all that was really cool. So that kind of makes it easier as well. And then, yeah, made a few friends, got a good like study group going. So mm-hmm. that, that always helps too. And, uh, yeah, just stay busy. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. So, um, and then you mentioned that you're going to start back up in about, uh, uh, another month or so. So is it a full four year program? Yeah. So this is just like a four year undergraduate degree. Yeah. And okay. as of right now, I'm like halfway through. So I've oh, got another two, yeah. full, uh, two full years. And then from there, like with kinesiology, you kind of have to, you either get like a master's or mm-hmm. you apply it. Like a lot of people want to go into like med school. They're using yep. it to get into physiotherapy, uh, you know, that kind of route. And mm-hmm. I, I'm basically the same. Like I'm going to do some MCAT prep probably this, oh, this yeah. upcoming year. I, if, you know, hopefully that works out. If not, then I would look towards trying to work in towards a physio program when I'm finished my degree. And if not that, then I'd work at like a master's exercise physiology, something along those lines. You yeah, also so mentioned the, looking into f- physiatry. Yes, yeah, so that would be more like on the med school side. So like, I actually didn't know physiatry was a thing up until pretty recently. And a couple of physiotherapists were mentioning, like, oh, if you go into med school, you could become a physiatrist, mm-hmm. which is my, my understanding is you're a, you're a uh, physiotherapist, but with a medical degree, like you're a doctor. So you can just okay. you can do more with it. Um, you can diagnose, you can prescribe medication, you can kind of do whatever a doctor would do, but you specialize in the physiotherapy side of things. Yeah, it's pretty cool because, like you said, you can prescribe, you can also do like joint injections. Um, you yeah. can do more, yeah, that's more, a uh, yeah, more types of treatments, prolotherapy. It's kind of like a one-stop shop for the, the yeah. client. So if yeah. you... You know, you don't want to go from like, oh, I saw my family doctor. Now I'm going to physio. Now I have to go back mm-hmm. to this specialist. It's like you could just do it all in kind of one spot. If yeah, you're it's a physiatrist. It's really cool. Yeah. No, yeah, this is, that's exactly it. Yep. So I actually didn't, when I was in med school, I didn't even know about that as a thing. And I didn't learn about it until mm-hmm. I was halfway through my residency. I was like, oh, that would be kind of nice to know. <laughs> but, um, yeah. but yeah, so uh, yeah, that would be, that'd be awesome. The MCAT. I, I think it'd is, be cool. Because that's, the MCAT that's is, what I'm like, most interested in. Yeah, I was just going to say the MCAT's the most useless exam ever. Right. I mean, it's like you, you learn all these things, you take this exam and then it turns out you don't really use any of the things that you needed to know for the exam. Mm-hmm. It's just sort of like, you know, it's just, you just have to get through that particular gate and then you get into yeah. med school. And, you know, I've been talking to a lot of people about MCAT stuff and well, you know, what's the best prep? What do I need to know? Like, cause they, they test you on stuff like physics, for example, yes. I think yeah. and like math. And it's like, I haven't done physics in a really long time. So like, yeah. how much do I need to really brush up on physics? And yeah. Uh, all the advice I've gotten is like, look, it depends on the school you end up applying to. Some mm-hmm. schools look at everything that you do on the MCAT. Some schools look at certain sections, some weight it differently. Some just like, oh, you got the minimum score. Perfect. Like they don't really care. So it seems like it's a very subjective test at the end of the day, <laughs> depending on like what a school might look for. Mm-hmm. So yeah. 
as long as I can do like the best I can and do really well on whatever section schools might wait the most, then I'm hoping that's good enough to get me to the next stage. Yeah, no, I mean, look, my wife and I, we did just, we did fine, right? We did okay. And then, mm -hmm. you know, obviously we got in, we got, we had uh, multiple places. We had, we had our options and that's it is that, you know, if you're expecting to go to like Harvard or whatever, you know, then yeah, you should probably do pretty well on your, on your MCAT, but you're going to have your options. Yeah. 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 I, I hope so. Yeah. So anyway, that's the plan. That's my goal for next year is to like slowly chip away at MCAT prep, relearn a bunch of this stuff that <laughs> yeah. I've either forgotten or just haven't learned at all. And then, and then go from there. Cool. Now, uh, this summer, were you doing any, uh, any, you, I think you mentioned you were working. Yeah. So my main job this summer, um, is working with this, uh, I guess company business, uh, called the Nordic ski lab. Oh. Uh, I'm not sure if you guys have heard of it. It's, uh, there's this woman named Kim. She started this, this business. I don't know how long ago now, but probably like seven to 10 years ago. And it's a website that specializes in like ski technique. So they, you know, she makes, she has a ton of videos on her website and, and on her YouTube channel where you go on and you can, like, I made a few with her over the winter. That's how I met her was skiing at Confederation Park. So we made a video on like, uh, how to offset and you can watch videos on how to double pole, how to do one skate, how to classic ski, some drills, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, roller skiing stuff. And, um, she started talking to me about wanting to make a program about, uh, like a summer training program. So if you, you want a ski program that you can use to kind of get you prepared for like a loppet or a, a race that you want to do in the winter, you could sign on Nordic ski lab, you get paired with a coach, which right now is me and this other, this other woman. And we provide you with a training plan every month. Uh, you get a couple meetings with us to discuss technique or training, whatever. And so that's been the bulk of my job is nice. we're kind of trialing this through the summer with a handful of, of people just to see, does it work? Do they like it? Is the structure good? Do we need to add things, take things away? And then trying to build up kind of resources on her website. So uh, if you're interested in the program, you can look up training stuff. You can look up training plans. You can look up all sorts of stuff and just having resources available as well if you're a client. So if you have questions about... Um, training zones or recovery or intensity stuff, like just having some form of literature that you have at your disposal. So all that stuff nice. has to kind of get built out so that it's ready to launch, hopefully by the end of the summer. So that's kind of my main job. I think I've used those actually. Did she have a, was it Roseanne Crawford who had some videos on there as well? Or or was a Canadian Rosanna, female athlete? I don't know, maybe not, but there, she has like, Olivia Bufard Nesbitt's been on there. Catherine Stewart Jones has made videos. Daria Beatty, uh, I think Russell Kennedy. Like she has, a, she has a really big catalog right, of videos. Must be yeah, the same. It's yeah, like, it's quite a lot. Which is, it's actually pretty good. Like she gets a lot of good feedback, I think, from people who. Because mm -hmm. I don't know if you guys have ever gone online trying to find examples. I've, I've of, actually used some of yeah. her videos. Yeah, you know, you, you yeah. go online and it, it's pretty hard to find stuff, but she has mm -hmm. a really good yeah. library and collection on there. So. Especially, yeah, I liked how it was all structured. Like you, you can find, you know, skate skiing on YouTube, and then you catch some videos. But it's kind of a mixed bag of yeah. different quality, different styles. Exactly. And I don't know. It's I, I liked uh, the site. Yeah. So, um, based on what you're just saying, and also I, I see that you're officially the manager of social media for Biathlon Canada. Still doing um, that. Yeah. It it sounds like you're. Uh, 
you like like things like web design, social media. That's a field that uh, you I like to find think I do an okay job. Hmm. You know, mo- most people tell me they think it's good, and that you know I keep people mostly up to date on what's going on and provide some half decent content. I don't do a ton on like the website design side. That's more right. if there's like some news that needs to go up or there's a coaching course that is available or a camp information, like whatever. And I just like post it to the website. Right. So it's like pretty minimal. I'm not like mm-hmm. building anything really. Um, but yeah, the social media stuff, it, it, it's a part-time thing. I was doing it last summer and then through the winter season. And so, yeah. And it's, I just try to kind of highlight what's going on across the country. If I can't, like, I don't, I don't really have the time to just like reach out to everybody and every club and whatever. But if, you know, some clubs are really good, like they'll, or an athletes in particular, like if they put something, they'll take back to Canada. I'm happy to share it. Um, when the team's on camps, the, you know, the team, like they'll take photos and send me photos that I can use. Right. So right now they're in Lake Placid, for example. So there's a woman with the American team who's been sending me photos. And then, you know, Emma just sent me a bunch of photos the other day and other people on the team make sure to like upload a bunch that I can eventually use to make a post. So it's not just, you know, dry all summer off season. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because the winter is easy because we get, you know, there's Nordic Focus, for example. They take photos almost every day, training, race, whatever, and I just download them. Easy. Done. But when I'm not with the team, I I do lean on them a little bit to send me stuff and then try and make it as engaging as possible. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's always – I remember uh, thinking with the Biathlon Canada site in the past that it it always felt outdated. Like if you would check the team – photos and stuff there would be people on yeah. there that were retired and that kind of thing and i think that's also always a bit of uh like it doesn't make you want to come back right sure or i think if it's updated regularly it's uh yeah and like nice trying group, to be on but... top of that right so yeah yeah when like when the new team gets announced trying to update people with like new headshots because right. you know <laughs> especially when you get like a new sponsor like we've been craft for a little while now but you know, oh, we get a new team jacket. We have like sponsors on it. Like, yeah, let's update everything, make it look good, yeah, make it yeah. look clean. And it's kind of fun. Like, you go to the website, oh, it's it's been updated. You know, oh, totally. It's yeah. new, fresh. <laughs> yeah. Um, I also found that you do uh, a Rise Above program. Is that kind of related yeah. to the uh, Nordic Ski Lab, or is that no, something you do on the side? Totally the different. Side? So, with that, I, I was approached by, he happens to be my old high school principal. Funny enough, his son is married to my cousin. So it's like small world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he he approached me last, I think, October, like last fall. And he's starting this new company. It's called Rise Above. And the focus is, I think it'd be fair to describe it as like this educational uh, program where people can go on and you will find a lot of kind of instructional videos or courses um, that you're available to purchase. And so I think he made one, for example, on like managing retirement. So you're, you've been working your whole life, you're retired, like now what do you do? And Mm -hmm. there's another guy, he's a a psychologist and I believe he made a video on, I believe it's called high performance parenting, something like that. So it's like, you know, you're the parent of kids who are pursuing sport or, you know, uh, music or some kind of hobby or school, whatever, how can you be like the best parent to support them, uh, to support your kid? And then he asked if I'd want to make one kind of relating to just my experience as, as a, as an athlete who was on the national team for a really long time and who competed at the Olympics. 
And okay. so I ended up making like this kind of video series. I think it's probably 18 videos. They're like five to eight, 10 minutes each. And it just kind of goes through like different things that I felt contributed to my success, uh, like on the, on the team. And then some success I had internationally when I was racing and yeah, just kind of build it out from there. And it's now a course that's available that if anyone wanted, they could go on and, and purchase it for themselves. Right. Right. Oh, that's seems like you got a lot on the go. Well, I, I, was... I did for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like calming down now, like the, that rise above, for example, now that the content is made, I'm just right. trying to kind of get the word out as much as I can and trying to kind of promote it a little bit to just to get people to, to purchase it. But you know, the filming and all that stuff that's finished. Right. And then, uh, the summer program has been going well, that keeps me busy, which is nice. And then the social media stuff, that's something, again, it's just like one little thing on the side yeah, that yeah. Uh, keeps me a little busy, but it's good because I, I don't want to be sitting around all summer just kind of bored, you know? Yeah, right, right. right. You can always well, go just... out roller skiing every day, right? <laughs> I could. It's hard to roller ski in Calgary, actually. It's not yeah. a super roller ski friendly place, but, you know, North running, Glenmore Park easy. is not too bad. Yeah, running. Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, to be honest, I've been spending more time, not not a ton, but I go to the gym more often. I just like, mm -hmm. I live close enough to the university and it's pretty cheap. So I go there and then, yeah, I, I mountain bike on the weekends if, if I'm around and I've got something to go with usually. Right. And then, yeah, just like jogs through the park. I mean, pretty simple. Yeah, yeah. Not golfing yet at Confederation in the summer? <laughs> no, I haven't gone yet, actually. I have been oh. golfing this summer, but I haven't gone there yet. Uh, okay. But same thing. Like, I'm not going to go by myself. So usually I get invited to go yeah. wherever yeah, in yeah. Calgary or maybe out towards Canmore. And I'm happy to do that. It's a lot of fun. How's your golf what game? What do you miss most? Oh, sorry. How's my golf game? Yeah. Not great. Yeah. It's like it, it <laughs> ebbs and flows. You oh, know, good. Okay. every now and then it's like. I have a few like good shots or I have a couple good holes and then a couple like totally blow up. Yeah. But yeah, know. just enough good I'm, ones. I'm so you're like very, very amateur golfer. Yeah. Terrific. Yeah. We'd, we'd be a great scramble pair. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. still remember my best shot when we were golfing in England and I was so frustrated with all my bad shots that I literally had my club in, in one hand and I just took a whack at the ball and it went in from, yeah. like, I think it was even from a bunker. I'm like, yeah, no, this is not my sport. If you can, <laughs> if you have your best shot when you're frustrated and you don't even care. Well, that's what I was going to ask. You got to stop caring. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I suppose. Uh, I was just going to ask, what do you miss most from living in Camorra now that you've been in Calgary for a bit? Or do you not miss uh, it because the you go thing there? I right? noticed the most that I probably would say I miss the most is just being able to walk out my door and go for a bike or walk, run, mm. or ski, like whatever. Like it used to be so convenient to just yeah. go out and get like a workout in uh, and almost any mode that you wanted. Like even if I wanted to hike, I could just kind of more or less start from my house. Right. I was in Calgary. So in the winter, I could walk to Confederation Park to ski. Uh, but otherwise, I'm just like running on bike paths or like through a neighborhood. Mm -hmm. uh, if I want to go mountain biking, I can't leave from my garage. I have to drive somewhere, which is kind of just like a hassle. So that's, that's the kind All of right. stuff I miss the most living in Canmore. So do you have any advice for, I guess it's been a few months now, but for the recent biathlon retirees for how to transition into not being a professional <laughs> biathlete anymore? Yeah, I would say 
um, you need to like find either a hobby or like a job. Like you have to do something. Yeah. Like I think it's really easy to. I was actually talking about this, uh, or I have talked about this with quite a few athletes over like the last year, mm-hmm. where they either ask me what I did or like what they think they should do, and I don't know. You got to like find something. Like for me, I knew I was going to go to school, so I I had to register for it, and. I mean, I guess you could always drop out, but like I was pretty committed to going to school and then I knew I wanted to try and find a job. So that helped, but I don't know. I, I do find sometimes it's people kind of get stuck in the, they don't know what to do. So they end up not really doing anything and, you know, yep. taking a break is, there's nothing wrong with that. If you want to just like lay low and hang out, but it's good to like kind of almost force yourself to pick up a hobby or pick up something just to just to have something to do and be busy because i feel like if you're not careful you kind of get stuck in a new habit of not not having anything to do and not knowing Mm. how to get started so you kind of have to almost force it was that tempting though when because you live such a structured life i'm assuming when you're on the world cup um with you know gaps of sort of Mm -hmm. killing time um but when that when that falls away is it is it tempting to just not have anything on your calendar for the day, just not have that structure of having to do training, having to do races. Yeah. So in my experience, and I would, I think a lot of people would agree is when you retire, it's like, okay, now I don't have training or whatever, but you still feel like there should be some structure and you should be doing something. And I, I, I found that suddenly it's like, Oh, you're, you're not skiing anymore. Like you have more time. And then everyone wants to like, they want to hang out. They want to go do something you know, uh, maybe not as much for me, but for some athletes, it's like, Oh, we'd like you to come like give a talk. We'd love you to come do this, like kind of utilize the star power that some athletes have. And then, Mm. so they go from doing nothing to just being like super busy. Mm -hmm. And I found that a little bit in the school year because then I was was busy with school and then I'm like, I want to work a little bit, but then I'm doing like some studies and I'm doing extracurriculars and I, you know, I was like, okay, I need to start just like, just saying no, like I can't like do everything. Yeah. I need to manage my time a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. It's like a mixed bag. And I think it kind of depends on the person because some people I think love still being at kind of the center of all and being busy. And I think some people just like totally disconnect, right? you know, and remove themselves. And I think it just maybe depends on the person. But, uh, you know, one thing, for example, that, this isn't like a huge thing, but one thing I noticed, like I, I did this course um, through the Canadian Sport Institute and the course was called Success After Sport. And it focuses on, it's or specifically for newly retired or about to be retired athletes. And it kind of just like walks you through, like it basically preps you for your sport retirement and like, okay. what are you going to do next? How are you going to manage it? What to expect? Kind of et cetera, et cetera. And the one thing that came up a lot is I'd always, me and the other people in the program, we'd always talk about how we go training a lot still. I love to go training, you know. And, she, and one of the questions I finally got was, well, what are you training for? I was like, well, nothing. Like, I'm just working out. She's like, right, so you're not going training. You're going for a workout. It's like this weird <laughs> semantic thing. But I kind of got the point. And, yeah, because I felt like there was a stress that I, well, I have to still go like exercise every day like i need to go for a run i need to do my strength i need to keep up with all this and her question was like well you don't need to because you're not training anymore and it's like that was like mm-hmm. hard to let go of yeah you know, it's like those small yeah. little things that were part of your routine for a really long time and then 
And then I finally let it go, and I don't really do anything. Like, when school started, I was like, oh, I'm busy. I can't work out. And then it's like, okay, well, after a month of that, it's like, I should probably start working out again. You, know? <laughs> <Totally good. laughs> you can't, like, totally drop it and then just slowly get fat. So then I had to exercise again, and now I feel like I've, like, found a balance. I kind of right. go when I can, when I want, you know. Sometimes I force myself out the door, but it's good for me. And uh, just kind of finding a better balance, but it just takes time because you're not, yeah, yeah. I, I wasn't used to it, especially like the whole school thing really kind of, because you're on like, you're on a strict schedule with training in biathlon, but you're used to that one, whereas this is like a totally right. different schedule. So I think so about I feel it like, uh, like your friend Benny Vega to build a new house. <laughs> Keep well, you busy. I mean, if, if I had the funds, that yeah. would have been a fun yeah. project. But uh, <laughs> yeah, he, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Uh, for me personally, I knew I needed to like go to school and just yeah. get that started. I, I didn't yeah. want to delay that. And even if I kind of felt like it'd be nice to take a year off, I knew I just had to get into it. So I'm so glad I did. Two, two questions. And the first one, you can just answer yes or no. You don't have to name names, but... You said uh, you mentioned getting fat. Are there any are there any fat ex biathletes? And I say this because I don't think I've ever seen any. Like the, everybody who's an ex biathlete, <laughs> they all look like they're still in really good shape. Well, we're really good at looking the part, oh. right? <laughs> but uh, <laughs> and fat, I have to say, it's all relative. Like, was I yeah, actually fat? Sure. Of course not, right? It's like, yeah. am I as fit and as lean as I was when I was training full time? Definitely not. So, yeah, and that's sure. what I have to work off of. But yeah. uh, no, any fat biathletes, I wouldn't say so. I mean, yeah, everybody, everybody looks great. Yeah. And you know what? Because especially in the winter when there's snow, I'm skiing pretty frequently. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. cross-country skiing keeps you in pretty good shape. Like running, mm-hmm. you know, does too and going to the gym, whatever. But for me, it's really easy to go for a 90-minute, two-hour ski and not, not even really break a sweat. Like, it's just I enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. And, but I like to think it keeps me in pretty good shape throughout the winter. And then the summer is a little more of an effort because it's like, oh, I have to actually, like, get my butt out there and go for a run or something yeah. to try and mm-hmm. get some cardio in but yeah i'd okay. say you because you i mean you train almost twice a day six days a week for however many years it's pretty easy to just go out and ski and run every now and then and kind of maintain good shape mm-hmm. so yeah it's all um, relative and then my, my next question was going to be did you watch all of the races live this year and the reason i tried I to yeah, yeah, I was going to say, with, with school and with everything you were doing, that means you were waking up at, what, between 4 and 5 a lot of the time to, to watch these yeah. races. So, yeah. Yeah, and going to bed at, like, 11 or midnight because I'm a student now, and you just, like, I don't know <laughs> I don't know what happens. But I get it now when, when like, my youngest brother is always talking about how he's going to bed really late. He's really tired. I said, well, okay. Yeah, I do that too now. Maybe not as late as he does. Yeah. But it's like, yeah. I know I tried to watch everyone live. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a few times where I couldn't. Uh, or like there, there was a t- couple times like I had an exam that morning, so I'm not. Oh sure. I probably shouldn't get up at four in the morning, <laughs> watch a race, be tired, and then go write like a midterm. But yeah, uh, no. It, it, at the very least, I'd be tracking it like live results in class mm-hmm. or whatever mm-hmm. if I yep. could. So yeah, I tried to. Yeah. Do you rewatch it all if you miss one? Or yes. Okay. Uh, although, no offense to the team, if if they didn't do very well. And I already saw the results and looked at the live result and everything. Like if I was following along, I don't necessarily rewatch the race. Right. Yeah. Right. But yeah. for the most part, like the team was doing pretty well. So that didn't happen very often. Mm-hmm. So when you were watching the team, you know, specifically if you're watching your brother, what is the first thing you're looking for? 
you know, to see like, you know, is he, is he doing well or, or what, like kind of what is the first thing you're paying attention to? Um, yeah, usually I, I, you know, splits in general, mm -hmm. maybe not like the opening split, um, but just looking at splits. So just I, like, I usually use the live tracker, like the standings yep. when, when I'm watching. So I can kind of see everything like the next split, the previous split, they're shooting when they come in. And so usually I have a good idea of how the race is going after the first shooting. Okay. So regardless of how they shoot, you look at the time behind and you, you know, you look at who's in the lead and then I can usually gauge of like, okay, this is like a pretty good day. You know, maybe, maybe it wasn't a good shooting, but like obviously the skiing's there or whatever. Um, right. Or it's like, a, yeah, coming out of the range of a really good spot. That's awesome. So this is like a really good day. And, and then it kind of goes from there. Because usually I'd say for most of the team, they're not the type to like go out really hard, have a really good, you know, first shooting split and then just totally blow up. So if they're, if they're solid at the first split, they're usually solid all the way through. If anything, they tend to get like a little better. So that's the main one I look for. And then, um, yeah, they don't always show them on TV. So you can't necessarily see how they might look skiing wise, right. but, um, also just seeing just the speed of their shooting like when they come in like how confident are they feeling that day mm -hmm. are they kind of sticking mm -hmm. to the shooting plan or are they kind of changing things up which isn't always necessarily a bad thing but sometimes it means like there could be nerves or some kind of anxiety or who knows what's going on and sometimes that can hurt them huh. in that, okay. that shooting or the next shooting whatever so if everything's like they come in they shoot like really nice rhythm good speed and they're out of there it's like okay this looks like a good day mm-hmm any phys uh, physical indicators if they happen to be on the on screen? Yeah, I guess just um, you know, if, as long as techniques looking good and they're looking like they're attacking, like right. you know, it's going to be like a good day when you do see them and they're like on the attack. And mm -hmm. you know, Emma got a lot of TV time this year, so she's like a, she's a good example of, especially in like the pursuits and the mass starts where she's just hanging on with that lead group, mm -hmm. almost making it look like easy. Yeah. Right, like she's just there. She's attacking when they attack. She's if they form a tiny gap, she just reels it right back in. And so you can like when you're watching those races, it's like okay, like she's like she's on, right? right. So as long right. as the shooting goes well, like this is going to be a great result. And that happened multiple times this year. So right. she was. Those were fun. Yeah, that's fun to watch, right? Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Have you gone to uh, to Europe or any other uh, place to watch a World Cup last season or? No, and I, I was thinking about it, but I, I just didn't have the time. It, it mm. just no, nothing works with school. You know, school yeah. like, gets in the way of everything now, all the fun stuff. Right. Because, you know, people ask, like, oh, are you coaching, like, a junior tour? Or are you helping out? It's like, well, I want to, but I I can't just take a week off school. Yeah, and right. I literally can't. Like, I'll miss labs yeah. and assignments that you, you just get zero. Like, the school doesn't care why I'm gone, right? So, yeah. Um, <laughs> And this year, like last year, I I was able, I had my reading break for the first week of the IBU Cup that was in Canmore. So I was able to help out the team for that week, which was right. a lot of fun. And unfortunately this year, I'm, when I look at the schedule, there's, when I have reading week, there's nothing going on. So hmm. I'm just going to be, I don't know, skiing in Canmore every day, which I'm not complaining about, but right. I won't be on any tours or like, sure, yeah. not watching any races. But you'll be, but I'm you'll assuming... be. It came more for the World Cup races, though, right? Of course, yeah. Oh, good, yeah. I was like, yeah, you better yeah. be there. It's, it's yeah. right in your backyard. Right. <laughs> right. 
Yeah, I always forget that, yeah, you're right. And for the weekend, obviously, for sure. And then assuming yeah. I don't have any big assignments or exams, then I'll probably just skip class and go out for the Thursday, yeah. Friday. Yeah, it's just I, I mean, I, yeah. I have to watch all of it, right? So yeah. Yeah, I'll be yeah. there. Do you, oh. will you do some coaching, you think, or, or just more like, you know, obviously, uh, am I you know, a Christian? I have to talk to, I have to talk to like, um, our like high performance director, whoever's in charge of that to, right. I don't know if it's like the coach or like if it's Justin or who, but, um, if they want and want my help or need it, like I'm happy to help out, even mm -hmm. if it's for the weekend, if they really want me, if I'm only available weekend, but they'd love to have me, I don't know, testing skis or I don't know shuttling athletes like i don't know what they might need but i'm happy to do okay. it otherwise i'm happy i'm also happy to watch i'll yeah, stand yeah. and watch and cheer on like it doesn't matter to me Yodley. no i was gonna ask so so uh let's say the ufc has a has a big issue and they have to close for the winter and they want you to coach would you want to coach your brother would you want to coach of more veteran athlete or would you be interested in like a, a, a young athlete who who's new on the world cup and work with him i think it doesn't have to be on the canadian team but just in general right like, in general yeah. i think um so let we'll, we'll talk about the canadian team like it would be a lot of fun let's say where they're like hey scott you know we we need another person on the world cup tour all winter i'm not in school that'd be a ton of fun. Like I would love to be in a support role. Uh, I don't even have to be coaching. Like I know, you know, we're always looking for wax techs. So it's like, Hey, we need someone to tech all winter. And like, yeah, I'll travel the team and I'll, I'll ski laps and test skis and do whatever. Um, I'll also coach. Like if the team needs it, coaching would be like more of a support role for them. Right. Like mm -hmm. they have Justin and then now Andrew and Helena, like if they needed me for whatever reason, I would just be like standing by the scope, giving corrections right or like be on on the trail offering support some way i'm not going to like coach those that team yeah maybe i should way. refrain refrain a little bit and yeah. are you more of like would you be more comfortable focusing on one person and any let's say a young person who just got to the world cup or are yeah. you more like would you be like a head coach of a team or i think what i would really enjoy is working with like the ibu or the junior ibu athletes oh, okay yeah just because i think yeah. you know the world cup team i've been there they're there. They kind of know what they're doing. They have experience now. And I'd rather work. I think I'd like to work with people with like less international racing experience. Cause I think I like to think I have some advice that I could offer of like how to handle racing your first, you know, IBU cup mm -hmm. race or like what to focus on or like, you know, a lot of these uh, kids, young adults, like they haven't really traveled through Europe. They don't really, you know, it's new. There's a bit of a culture shock. So helping mm -hmm. them navigate that kind of stuff. And I think also just trying to assist with like the development piece, which is what a lot of the junior IBU cup and even the IBU cup kind of is, is like right. learning how to race, learning how to keep up with the, you know, the top European athletes who are the main competitors for right. all, for all the Canadians here. Um, you know, even, even getting into like the more specific stuff of like, Hey, here's how I think you should approach the shooting range. Here's how I think you should, like if this is what the wind's doing, yeah. like, this is how you should correct. Or, um, you know, when you're on this part of the course, like you should ski the hill this way, or I don't know, like even like mm -hmm. the technical stuff, I think would be more fun for me working with someone more on the development side versus acting in that support role for like the established world cup team. Right. You know, like Christian, so, he knows as much as I do. Like there's not a whole lot with Christian, for example, that I could, other than just observations, right. But Hey, so mm -hmm. I'm skiing, I saw this, 
you know, right. if you felt this way or that way, like we can make an adjustment, but it's a little more hands off. Right. But with someone so, like Zach, is it Zach Connolly is, is cool. on the team now, right? The senior team? Or yeah, is like it for not those guys yet? too. But you know what? They, they would end up spending more time with Christian or Adam or for the girls, right. like with Emma and Nadia, and they get more from them that way than I think they would from me anyway. So again, it's, mm-hmm. you're kind of that slightly somewhat hands-on, mostly hands-off support role, I think. Unless they like really want to work on something with sure. me, yeah. which is totally obviously okay. But for the most part, you know that's the benefit of having, you know, the older athletes like Christian and Emma and you know Adam's been on the team now or on the World Cup team for like a long time, and they just like they just train together. They offer like leadership and advice and support just by virtue of just being there together. And so right. I think that's like more beneficial than what I would offer them as like a coach. Okay. So when you a bit continuing on that line, so if you, if you, let's say you would work with a young athlete who is in the IBU cup and maybe on the brink of going to the world cup, if you compare that to what it was like when you got to the world cup, what do you, what are the main differences between the IBU then and now? Like what, what do you see as a development within the IBU since you, since you got on the world cup? Like in what, what would they expect going from one to the other? No, more like if, if you just observe the IBU uh, World Championships or World Cups right now and you compare that to when you started. Um, oh, um, it's my opinion that the, the athletes in the field in general on the World Cup are better than and more tightly uh, packed together in terms of like ability than it was probably when I started, which would have been like my first World Cup was like 2011. Right. And so a little over now, like 12, 13 years ago. And uh, yeah, like what I feel like I've noticed over the years is that times are getting tighter between athletes. Mm-hmm. Like the top guys and girls, they're still like sometimes way ahead of like the top five or the top 10. But that like 10th, 20th place to 60th, 70th is is tightening, right. in my opinion. And I think if you were to probably look at like pursuit cutoff times, for example, probably bears that out where you're seeing pretty consistently now like a two minute ish cutoff time men and women for a top 60 and just in my mind i seem to remember you know times being like oh i was three minutes behind but i was 58th you know what i mean and like that just doesn't cut it anymore so it's just it's it's more competitive kind of towards the middle not as competitive at the extremes but in the middle of the of the pack you're seeing it get pretty tight i think and do you feel the top is even harder to reach now? Like, did, are the top competitors separating themselves I mean, more? Or? I think it has to be. Like, when you look at, okay, like Martin Forcad, when he went on his run, I mean, yeah, I mean, he's the first, like, he won seven in a row, he broke a record. So, obviously, yeah, yeah. and he had, I can't remember now what the stat was, but it was something like 18 months in a row or a year in a row of being on the podium. Like, he wasn't <laughs> off the podium for, like, yeah. a season or something right it was like crazy stats like that now that's one guy but then you have johannes come and he's like even faster on skis and like last, i don't think he lost a sprint last year all right like that kind of stuff it's like hard to compete if you're not yeah i mean yeah. second place is available you know but <laughs> yeah. like first place race for the rest of the field yeah so it's you know for him he's like in a league of his own like when he's on he's on and you're not going to beat johannes right right and so 
it, it is kind of becomes a battle for second. But then I think the top 10 isn't necessarily way ahead of like 11th to 20th, you know, 20th to 50th, whatever. I don't know. But I get the impression mm-hmm. those time gaps are still like pretty tight and it's competitive. But uh, it's like, yeah, the top top is just like blowing it out. Um, and the women maybe a little less this year. It, it seemed like, you know, it was getting spread around pretty evenly amongst yeah, yeah. several different women. Right. Like Julie Simon won the overall. She was very strong. But like Olsbu came back and she was in pretty good shape for having mm-hmm. to, for having to have to take a bunch of time off. Uh, Vitozzi's back in action. Yeah. Um, and Veer is pretty darn good still. I mean, Shavir is there, right? Like yeah, she's yeah. not, she's no slouch. She's always yeah. a threat. Um, a lot of the German women stepping up. So it, yeah, it just like, you seem to, in my opinion, there's more women, like the women's races were almost a little more exciting. Cause it's like, you don't Tiger. really know who's going to win. Like everyone's a right. contender and it comes down to like one missed shot or whatever to like differentiate mm-hmm. it. And then whereas on the men, it's like, oh, you had a shot, 9-0-10 is friend. Okay, well, that's his. So yeah, who's, yeah. who's battling for second? Yeah. And it was usually like leg read or someone. So it's even then it's like, you know, a little less exciting. Let's see if there's opinion. a non-Norwegian in the top five kind of Yeah, thing. is there someone not from Norway, not from France who could maybe break in? Like that would be awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, although I do think it's coming, in my opinion. I mean, your right. is obviously amazing and very, very good, but... I do think he's finally getting, they're getting challenged by like Sweden, for example. I thought they were much better this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the men and women are like very competitive. And right. I think they're like slowly getting closer and closer to kind of consistently breaking onto the podium. Um, and even yeah, the Italians, yeah. like you watch Gio Camel, who's like super young. Oh, he's yeah. like so good, especially in the kind of last half of the season. So like there's, there's talent there. And he, you know, assuming right. he kind of trends the same way and his shooting gets a little more consistent, like he's now a pretty consistent podium threat. So just mm-hmm. makes it more exciting. Well, you would you would like to think that Giacomo and, and Hartwig and those guys are only getting better, right? Just they, they're still so young. I mean, you think they have to, I mean, because yeah. they're still so young. It's like almost impossible yeah. not to improve, at least on the ski speed front. So it's really, it's just, and Hartwig's already an excellent shooter. So mm-hmm. like for them, it's just like, but it's it's also not that easy. Like you're going to improve, but you're up against like very good athletes. So you kind right. of you still have to put in like a lot of work to make that small, small, small extra gain to differentiate yourself. Yeah. yeah. But I have a feeling like they're going to do it. Like this is a pretty good kind of breakout year for those guys. Yeah, for sure. Well, they made the blue bip super exciting too. Oh yeah, yeah, it was exciting. But, uh, yeah. Again, aside from first place, which was mostly kind of Johannes, like it was pretty exciting especially when you see other nations kind of breaking into the top 10 a little more consistently. Right. So is, is someone like Johannes, is is he, is that a motivation or is that sort of a whatever, I don't even count him in anymore because he's too good? I, I, I don't know. <laughs> like, I, uh, I don't know what goes through the heads of guys like at that level. Yeah. You know, like I think if you're, like if you're on the Norwegian team, you know, obviously you, you're probably thinking, yeah, you could be competitive with Johannes. You train with him pretty frequently and obviously he's really good, but like, um, you probably think it's, he's like beatable, right? Like Legby, for okay. example. I mean, he's pretty close. You yeah. You can't yeah. quite match him skiing, but I mean, points wise, they're relatively close. 
So it's not impossible. And then, um, so surely they think there's like a chance, like you just gotta, you just gotta put the work in and it'll get you there. Mm -hmm. Well, and I would, I would think Legrite is probably a better shooter overall. Yeah, I think so. Although Johansson's shooting average was actually pretty good. Like it's, yeah, it went up. You know, right. I, I remember like years ago, for example, when he would just have like bad shooting races and it wasn't common, yeah. but it would happen. Whereas now it's like, it's pretty solid. Like he's up yeah. there, but Legreed is, Legreed though is, I think maybe not the best, but he's among the best in terms mm -hmm. of accuracy. And he's pretty fast, like in the range and on ski. So he's kind of like, he's like the whole package as a as far as biathlete goes. So, right. And do you, so, so someone like Johannes or, uh, um, for Cod or even Bjorn Dahlen, do you think those are just people with exceptional talent who just also happen to be in the right country at the right time because biathlon was a, a big sport when they got into it? So they were, yeah, I think it's a mix of things. Like there's got, I believe there's some kind of natural talent that has to be a play, mm -hmm. but then also they just, they just worked very hard right. and took it like very seriously And, but then also had the right support and the right resources and the right coaches, um, not just at the national team level, but when they were younger, like the right development right. coaches as they were working up through to get to the senior level. And then even probably like the right teammates, like the right motivators and the right training partners. And I, I think there's like quite a few factors that go into it right. ultimately. That just makes me, makes me wonder if like, I'm convinced that there is probably people in Canada or the U.S. that are born with the same talent. Yeah. But they probably end up playing hockey when they're four yeah, or five years old, sure. right? So then yeah. they never develop into that that prime biathlete that, you know, can basically yeah. control totally the World agree. Cup. Or like in the U.S., like it's, think of like the population of the U.S., 330, maybe more million. Yeah. And like you want like yeah. some of like the – like take like a NFL football player, like some of those guys, like not like the big like defensive line or whatever, but like right. those guys can run super fast. They are super strong. It's like, man, if you took that guy, like they're tall, they have like that skier physique, but they, they just run and catch football instead of, you know, absolutely destroying the world cup field <laughs> Yeah, yeah <laughs> or at yeah. least keeping up with, you know, a Johannes. Uh, but yeah, you're right. It's just like, they probably don't even know what biathlon is. Or they've right. never considered it, right? They just like they don't live where there's snow, and so they just go like a totally yeah. different direction. Um, yeah, it makes you think. Because I was, we, you know, it always gets likened to, you know, Norway, for example. Their ski program is akin to like Canada's hockey. Right. You know, Canada produces the best hockey players in the world because everybody gets into hockey when they're little, and then you just find the best ones. Yeah, it's like a numbers game. Yeah, and I find it interesting too that. Well, personally, I feel the hockey drive or the the focus on making the NHL starts a little early, and and I kind of get the impression that in Norway it's similar to biathlon. It's there's a lot of pressure on kids that show a lot of talent when they're young mm -hmm. to yeah, really I've push wondered, them because you know hockey can't like it's it's serious. It can be serious, right? I mm -hmm. think like parents might take it really seriously, or the kids. Right. Uh, but you can also just like play for fun. And I would be curious to like, uh, let's say Johannes, like, did he just ski for fun? And it was just something his family did for a long time. And then, you know, maybe he's like mid teens. He decided it, it was serious or was this something where like 11 mm -hmm. years old, he's 
fully dedicated. I have no idea. No. I'd be curious to know. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I mean, obviously Germany and France, probably Russia, the biathlon programs are pretty big, but I, I don't think it comes close to to Norway. Well, it's like a culture, like in yeah. Norway and and in Sweden, really too, right? Like oh, Sweden, people, yeah, yeah. it's just a part of their culture to just be skiing. Yeah. Um, and that, and that's why I kind of liken it to hockey because it's like everyone in Canada has a set of hockey skates and a stick and can yeah. go to the outdoor rink if they wanted to, right? Like. It just feels like everyone could do that here. Yeah, um, totally. Like, I still have skates. Like, if I really wanted to, I could go. Um, you could probably find a puck somewhere in your, in oh, your yeah, basement. Oh, yeah, yeah, there's a puck somewhere, right? Like, <laughs> it just you just have that stuff. And I just feel like yeah. it's the same in those countries where it's that's just their life. You're, you grow yeah. up with it. It's, you're surrounded by it. And everyone kind of gets into it at some level. And then, you know, you, you get, like, a pretty big group of kids that are motivated to keep going yeah. And you just eventually kind of sift through and then you find like the best in the world. So I, it still always surprised me that the, that biathlon is not better known in Canada. Cause I mean, I'm not going to say that we're a shooting crazy country, but I mean, people hunting and shooting is not out of the ordinary. Yeah. I, yeah. And obviously we have lots of snow, especially when you're close to the mountains. So it's, uh, you would think it's a, it's an easy link maybe it's just the cost of the rifle and the ammunition and the ranges that you know makes it harder for people but then again you yeah, look I mean, at hockey programs are not cheap maybe a lot of the venues tend to exist like outside a major city right the camp mm. was pretty close to calgary so people might be aware that camp was there and that they have a shooting range and they know what right. rifle is but you know like whistler like that's far enough for vancouver i don't know do people in vancouver really know or care what biathlon is i don't know like it's just, it's always well, it's not even in know. Whistler, really, is it? Like it's no, still right. a bit of a I mean, drive. It's close. It's yeah. uh, maybe like a twenty-minute drive, but right. Um, but then also, I think it's like it's it's just a lot of it comes down to what you see. Like Canada mm -hmm. is pretty big on like downhill skiing, snowboarding, especially like freestyle stuff. Like out at COP, for example, right? They got that big right. half pipe and the X Games, and and I think a lot of people grow up cross-country skiing because you don't need a rifle right. to do to do biathlon so right. cross-country skiing is pretty big and then it's just really difficult to to take that next step of oh i'm gonna get a rifle and like do biathlon for fun you know what i mean yeah and, uh, i mean stop me for like i i remember oh maybe 12 13 years ago a friend and i were really thinking about doing biathlon and i'd always wanted to do it but for me it was really you know the the three and a half four thousand dollars you have to cough up I for know. a rifle that was what yeah. if I don't like it, you know, that's and then people are like, well, you can sell it easily, but you know, that's a big investment for, even if it you have the money, investment. but it's like, it's a pretty big barrier to entry. Yeah. Cause even like this, the skis, like just the skis alone, right? Like a pair of skis, pair of boots, pair of poles, even if you got like affordable stuff, it's not cheap. Oh, and then totally, yeah. if you're a kid who wants to get more serious into racing, well, you're going to need more than one pair of skis. So now you're looking right. at like two or three pair kind of as a starting point, And then it only gets worse from there. You're only collecting more yeah, and more. Yeah. And then, you know, and then you start buying carbon poles, which are expensive and they break very easily. And that's mm -hmm. a cost that you just have to deal yeah, with. Yeah. And, yeah, and, you know, even ammunition, like the rifle's one thing, but in, you know, you should be able to sell it more or less for what you paid for it. So it's not totally, it doesn't really depreciate too much, but it's, right. you know, the annual ammo cost, if you're going to a lot, like that starts to add up. So it's just, you know, it's not quite as easy as just throwing skis on and going for a ski. 
Right. You know, there's like just kind of this recurring cost with biathlon that I, I think just kind of keeps people out. Because yeah. there's a lot of cross-country skiers who try it, right? Or who maybe started in biathlon and then just switched to cross-country because it just isn't quite for them for whatever yeah. reason. Um, well, it, and and Robin and uh, Fast and Fossil, they, they've had a couple of like open days. And I think Biathlon Canada and uh, Club in Canmore, they all have these open days where people mm -hmm. can just try it out. And I think, like you said, there are a lot of people that like it. And then you start talking about the price of a rifle. and Yeah, and they're just turned off. They, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I, mean, I, I actually even... don't think I've met a person who's tried biathlon and said, this sucks. Like, I hate this. It's like, right. it's pretty cool usually, right? Like, you go to the range, you hit those targets. Like, that's pretty exciting, right? The paddle flips yeah. up. It's fun. You try standing, and it's like, oh, my God, this is so hard. But it's like, it's still fun. And yeah, then yeah. it's like, oh, how, like, how much to get my two kids into this? It's like, oh, well, you know, like, $4,000 each for a rifle. And you need skis, you need boots, you need to, like, to join a club. And there's fees. And it's just like, oh, yeah. maybe not. Well, no. and it's even like um, just for a club to have spare rifles too. It's, it's the same thing, yeah. right? It's uh, yeah. I think that, uh, Foothills probably has some for their programs. Do you know? They for sure do. Camo Nordic has like quite a few, I think, as well. Okay. Um, and I think I think they potentially rent it to an athlete for like the winter or for the year. That's what so I, I think. It's like yeah. they have the rifle. You pay Foothills. They loan you this rifle for the year and i think you're supposed to give it back right i think yeah and, and and i think sometimes depending on the participants you may have to share it or something yeah maybe yeah. yeah but i mean you know what as long as you can get them hooked and you know and they realize they really like it and then they might might be willing to make that investment but yeah and i think like the loaner program is a good idea because mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. obviously way more cost effective. And then you're right. Like if, you know, oh, you know, my, that my kid like just loves this, like enough that, you know, it's probably is worth the investment. Right. And if they don't, you know, they only do it another few years, but they really, really like it. I mean, you know, it's probably worth it. Yeah. So. Well, now do you have the, uh, the eco aims too, right? You see those more and more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Those are becoming so. more and more popular. And there is a pretty big push to like, to have more kind of laser rifle type stuff. Mm -hmm. as well um do you do you foresee that um world cup athletes are using those in the hotel room to practice and that kind of thing or is are they too different from their own rifle and then it's kind of defeats the purpose if it was me i would prefer to use my rifle with it that's just the scat setup if i wanted to yeah. do like some dry fire training uh in the hotel or in my room whatever but mm -hmm. i know that they're they're kind of looking into the idea of like do we one day replace a 22 with a laser rifle right uh i don't know if that'll happen anytime soon or or how seriously they might be looking into it but it's it's like a question right uh because if you could do that suddenly you don't need a dedicated like shooting range right for a biathlon program to exist you could have something to scale that's much smaller in the middle of the city so for like developing yeah. kids and stuff i mean that would be pretty that or that would make it a lot easier to get kids into it but I remember, I think the IBU, or maybe it was a news article, like someone asked uh, some of the Norwegian athletes uh, what they thought about, it. like, oh, what if the World Cup transitioned away from a 22? And I think their answer oh. was like, uh, please don't. And that's my yeah. opinion too, by the way, which is like, I understand if you're the IBU and it's like, oh, well, but we want to have ranges like in the middle of a city or whatever, um, or we want to be able to like expand this sport to as many mm -hmm. people as possible. So you do that with a laser rifle. But for me... 
as a somewhat purist, maybe it's like, no, part of the sport is it's like, it's a real gun. It shoots a real bullet. There's a wind factor that you have to account for. There's, you know, all sorts Mm -hmm. of stuff. Um, but I don't think it's going anywhere anytime soon at the world cup. Like no, I at the IBU level, I think it's for young kids though. I, I think it makes the most sense. And my, my guess is they're hopefully easy to maintain. So you're not worried about like, I don't know, right. stuff breaking or wearing out. Um, and then of course the safety thing is like not as big a factor. You don't have to worry about a bunch of young kids handling, you know, firearms that need yeah, to be supervised. I was also told that it has kind of a, a negative side effect that when kids only use eco aims until they're 11, 12 and then go to a firing range, they have no, um, yeah. I mean, you still want to fear. treat it as yeah, like a no, real for sure. gun. Yeah. Um, but if something goes wrong, you're not, you don't have someone shooting their, you know, their hand off or their finger yeah. off or something. But yeah. yeah, I don't know. Times are changing. None of this was it available would, when I started. So it's yeah, very different. Enough. Well, and I think as it becomes more popular, hopefully we'll see another couple of companies offering the same, which, you know, because EcoAIM is pretty much um, a monopoly right now, I think, on that mm-hmm. type of uh, rifles. Yeah. But no, I, I always think the uh, the Auf Schalke, I, I just love I just love the setup where you could have a whole stadium of people basically seeing everything except the part that they ski outside and you put a big video screen and mm-hmm. um, not well, that you know, I would like want. Think of uh, like in Calgary, you could get mm-hmm. everyone into like, I mean, I don't know if you could actually do this, but let's say you somehow pack everyone into McMahon Stadium mm-hmm. and there's a bunch of rifles and kind of like a Schalke event. So people can, they, they ski into the football stadium, they can ski out, there's a trail set up over there. I don't know would be a cool idea, which you could do with like laser rifles. Like you couldn't, mm-hmm. you couldn't do that in Calgary with like a 22. Right. It right. just wouldn't happen, but you could do it with Nico aim. So, I mean, it has opportunity in that yeah. sense. Might almost be end up a, a separate, you know, how they have summer biathlon and. Right. Yeah, I mean, you could win. do that too, but yeah. uh, just as, even just to like promote it, like, Oh, we have this like huge event. We, you know, we pay the top, 20 men and women to come to Canada and I don't know, have like a fun laser biathlon rifle race that people can come and watch and get them hooked. I don't know. Could see, be, I see a, a Scott Gow invitational. Oh yeah. I'll start one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get on that. Um, so one more question, biathlon related. We we've always talked in a podcast a lot about the uh, biathlon family and how it seems to be close knit and, um, as a retired athlete, do you still, other than, you know, you, you mentioned Benny Wager is a, is a good friend of you now, and but just in general, are you still in touch with a lot of biathletes or is that because you're not in Europe anymore? Is that sort of gone away or? Yeah, I wouldn't say like I'm in touch with a lot. Like Benjamin Wager is like, we're good friends. We'll text each other every now and then, uh, see how he's doing, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still talk a lot with Claire Egan. Um, she's a good friend and she's still on the biathlon, uh, athletes committee. So right. she's awesome for just like general knowledge, of, like what's going on with the organization these days, like what's, what's new, what's happening. So right. she's always good to talk to. And, uh, she and I keep in touch like pretty regularly as well. And then Annie walked by earlier, like she happens yeah, to be yeah. in town, you know? So yeah, well, she came over for lunch. I'll see her again on the weekend. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we've, we've been good friends for a long time as well. Uh, but in terms of like other athletes that I mean, wasn't as close to, I remember last summer, uh, Boston Canada got a new roller ski treadmill 
and it's made by this company called Rodby, uh, which is okay. based out in Sweden. And they have this feature or function on it where there's a camera that can track the athlete and it, it tracks like how close or far away you are from the camera on the belt. And you can use that feature to increase or decrease the speed of the treadmill. So it tries to keep you centered and you would use okay. this to do like, let's say a time trial. So you could input a two and a half kilometer race course and then the athlete just goes at their race pace. And if the speed is a little easy, they end up moving forward on the treadmill and it speeds up to like accommodate. So you can just mm -hmm. go your race pace. Uh, but I didn't really know how it worked or like what to do. So I, I messaged Sebastian Samuelson and he, okay. he responded and he was like super helpful. Told me that, cause I knew he had one, like he has one in his house or something. So right. he was super helpful, kind of explained how he uses it and gave me some contact info to contact a dip, another guy from the company who could also help me. So it was know. more like you, you used the existing connections. Yeah. Well, you know, we you know who each yeah. other are. I, you know, he's obviously a nice guy and I felt comfortable just like messaging him mm -hmm. on Instagram being like, Hey, we got this treadmill, like any advice. And right. I'm assuming he didn't hate that I reached out and he offered, you know, he gave me some good advice and I was able to use that. So right. that part of the family still exists. Um, nice. you know, I'm sure I could message all sorts of people and they'd probably at least respond. Right. right. <laughs> Depends what I'm at. talking to them about, I guess. But <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, did you have anything you wanted to bring up or promote or mention no. or? Well, I mean, we talked a little bit earlier, but the, the rise above program, I, mm. you know, that's something I make it with this, with this rise above kind of business, but it's kind of my course that people can purchase. And, you know, it mostly covers just my experience as an athlete and more specifically what I attribute uh, to my kind of relative success. So, right. um, more specifically, I don't know, a different, um, outlooks or different, uh, kind of habits that I formed over the years or that I, that I learned about or was taught about later in my career that I thought were really helpful, things like that, that I feel could maybe help other people if they're pursuing sport or they're trying to, I don't know, dedicate themselves to school or to something that maybe it could be useful to them as well. So okay. the rise of a program. And then if there's any skiers out there listening who are looking for a training plan, like, you know, you got a race in the winter that you want to do, like the Nordic ski lab is going to be opening up spots probably sometime September. Um, okay. So people can at least check it out if it's something that they for think sure. they're interested in. Cause right now for that program, it's mostly kind of masters aged people. So they're, I would say 50 plus, um, some people are just looking for a training plan. They just want to learn how to ski better, which is, which is what we do. And then there's some people who, you know, they're racing the Berkebeiner and they're doing another Loppet and they're doing another race and they want like a training plan to make them fitter and faster come winter. Mm -hmm. So we kind of accommodate to anyone. And, uh, so far the feedback's been pretty good and I think people are enjoying it. So there's an option out there for people who are looking for that kind of service. Okay. I'll, uh, I'll make sure to put the links in the show notes. That'd be awesome. Um, thank you so much for connecting with us again. Um, yeah, that no, was great. That uh, was a lot of fun. Maybe uh, we'll we make a tradition every summer to uh, to check in with you. <laughs> a once a year <laughs> check in. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, good luck with your your studies, and uh, especially in the winter, getting up at at four in the morning sometimes. And yeah, it's hard and, sometimes. Uh, I have to say, but it's fun. All right. Have a uh, good rest of the week. 
then again thank you very much and